more of the determination and grit, I would say, that I, I've, I've brought that into the business. The competition part, I've actually had to rewire myself a little bit. Uh, so what I mean is like, when I'm, when I'm, when I play table tennis, it was kind of easier to gauge your progress or, you know, how you're doing, because when you're competing, it's kind of obvious if you're doing well or not, you win or you lose, right? You make the team or you don't make the team, um, you know, and when you're competing regularly, you, if you're, if you're performing well, then the results are going to, it's going to be pretty obvious, right? It's, it's kind of easier in sports. It's like, you have a winner, you have a loser. It's harder in business because not only do you, um, is it a completely different playing field, but you don't really know someone else's backstory, where they started. And it's very hard to compete actually, in the sense that you're not really on, you know, you're not really starting at the same place. Sometimes you're ahead of them and sometimes you're way behind, but you just don't really know. Hello, my name is Emily Jansen, and this is the Leadership is Female podcast. We interview women in the sports and entertainment businesses to teach you the tips and the mindset that will get you to the top faster. Marion Wright Edelman said, you can't be what you can't see. Let's bring visibility to women who are crushing it in their roles. Join us week after week, season after season, as we reach back to extend a hand to pull you forward. We will lead you forward because leadership is female. Welcome to the Leadership is Female podcast, Laura Shaw. We are so happy to have you here today. We are going to talk all things business and also entrepreneurship and beauty because you are CEO of beauty brand, Henne Organics. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk to you today. Yeah, welcome to the show. Tell us who you are and what you do. Yeah. Uh, my name is Laura Shaw, and I am the founder and CEO of Henry Organics. And I call us essentially a luxury organic lip care line. And we have a few other types of products as well, but we're primarily a lip care brand. Um, we're certified organic by USDA, Leaping Bunny certified cruelty free, and we make everything in-house in our little henna HQ here in Wilmington, North Carolina. And we were chatting about where you live. You're now in North Carolina on the East Coast, but you were in Vegas, which is way more dry. So I want to just touch really quickly, maybe for my own sake, since I'm in Northern Nevada and it's super dry here, about the differences in your lip care and cosmetics based on your external environment. So if you're in more of like a humid climate versus dry and Basically, I'm asking, what should I do? Yeah. Well, I think this is the perfect podcast because you will fully be able to relate to this. When my husband and I moved to Vegas, I had never experienced really true desert heat before. I had visited Vegas a few times and, you know, it's it's a little bit rough for a few days, but then you get to leave and your skin kind of reacclimates and you're good again. But that was the first time in my life I actually had really bad issues with my lips like dry, cracked, sometimes bleeding. My husband was even worse, probably because he's not as much of a lip balm addict as I was. And I have been on like pretty much my whole life. And so um, even the natural ones that I was using, they weren't really, you know, they just weren't really doing the trick. Now I am not going to lie to you or say things like, oh, there was no such product possibly on the market. Of course, lip balms existed, 
But if I'm just being completely transparent, I did not want to use ones that are unnatural and contained ingredients that are potentially toxic. I think it's pretty easy to understand, like, especially when it comes to your lips, whatever you put on your lips, you're going to end up ingesting throughout the day. And then on top of that, I do have a love for design and aesthetics, especially Scandinavian design. And so I just wanted a product that I would actually be proud to carry out in public and not like have to hide in my makeup bag. And also a product that worked really well because I was super desperate because my lips were really gnarly. And I think that, I, I mean, I think a lot of things just happen in life for, for, you know, they happen for a reason. And I think we were meant to live in Vegas because I don't know if I would have launched Henna had we not moved there. You know, I always like to say like, combination of inspiration and desperation but the desperation was really needed like I needed that kick in the butt to get going because you know starting your business is can be scary and especially not coming from that industry so so yeah it was uh it was great actually to live in Vegas for, for that reason yeah well I want to talk to you about the origin of this kind of go back a little bit in your life and your talk about your experiences starting and running a business as a first-generation immigrant. Yeah, so I actually was not born in the States. I came here when I was two. I My parents came here first. And when I say humble beginnings, I mean, I am so grateful to my parents because they actually shielded me so much from how, I guess, poor we were when we first moved here. They were very good at, you know, making things, glossing things over and making things look a lot like, oh, there's no problems, we're fine. But the, tr- the reality is my parents managed to come here because my dad initially got a full ride scholarship to get his uh, master's and his PhD in the States. And if it weren't for that, we wouldn't have even, even been able to come here. I came here when I was two and a half because they needed to save up money for plane tickets. First, my dad came, then my mom came a while later, and then me. And when they first came here, I didn't even realize that I was getting toys from the Salvation Army for Christmas. And we were living in a tiny one bedroom that was like a university apartment. And I, you don't notice those things when you're a kid anyways, but it was, I guess, a lot more humble than I thought. But for them, it was wonderful because they both grew up poor in China. So just coming to the States and buying food whenever you want to, even if it's, you know, Pepsi and hot dogs, it still feels like such a luxury, right? And so, um, and so, yeah, that's how things started. And being an entrepreneur, does not really run in our family. I'll be honest. My parents, especially I think my dad, they were hoping that I would take a safer route. So initially when I was younger growing up, this is very typical Chinese and I wouldn't say all Asians, but certainly very Chinese where they want you to go to a really good school, preferably an Ivy. You know, they want you to take this very traditional route. And I understand why in the sense that they made so many sacrifices. They just want you to be safe, right? Safe, safe, safe. Get a good job. Don't ruffle too many feathers, blah, blah, blah. I think by the time I was probably 11 or 12, they started realizing this may not happen with ours because she's a little bit feistier than some of the other kids. And she just has way too much of a mind of her own. Uh, I don't think I was necessarily destined to be an entrepreneur at that young of an age, but I was definitely always a very independent thinker. I guess you could say a little bit defiant in the sense that um, if I if I think something is wrong or I don't agree with the way something is done, I'm okay with saying like, oh, actually, which is not a very Asian trait on average, of course, there's always exceptions to the rule. And so I think that 
those, you know, the seeds were kind of there from the start, but maybe, maybe not necessarily entrepreneurship, but just definitely taking a more alternative path. Um, and then fast forward to college, I studied broadcast journalism. That was something I, you know, initially that was something I was very passionate about. I kind of discovered while I was in college, probably by my sophomore year, that while I enjoyed it, I did not have like the burning passion for it that you really need to do a job like that because it is so tiring, right? I think I'm sure a lot of people have a little bit of an idea where you, the crazy hours, very little pay, um, the stress, right? And, you know, covering news, whether it's a murder or just, you know, it's, it's, it's very dark, it's very heavy, and it's just, you really need to live and breathe that life. And I started realizing that maybe I don't. And then I think that's when I started having different ideas, but I was very young. And so um, I know this is kind of a rambling answer because my my path is really random. Uh, because also when I was 18, I started dating a Swedish guy, my husband, now husband. And so when I graduated from college, I moved to Sweden. And then I bounced around for a while. I mean, that's like the long story short version. And I think wanting to be an entrepreneur was, that really started when we left Sweden, actually, because um, my husband, my husband retired early from sports. We actually met each other through sports and we both needed to find a new career path. Neither of us were really well equipped at that time. You know, I, when I moved to Sweden, I had all of my like fancy, you know, degrees and job experiences. Everything was English speaking, you know, like broadcast journalism, working at a TV station, working radio, and then moving to Sweden and having the vocabulary of like a three-year-old, you know, like who is going to hire me on air or for anything? It's, I mean, it's laughable, right? I'm just thinking at best, maybe I could like translate menus for someone at a restaurant, but seriously, like there's slim pickings and we both had to acquire other skill sets. And so I did have some entrepreneur ex- or I guess small business experience prior to Henna. And that ended up helping me, you know, actually launch Henna later on. Like I said, the inspiration plus desperation. Yeah. And so yeah, it's just, it's like all types of twists and turns. Like well, I don't even have to answer you that. You forgot question. one twist and turn is that yeah. you were the U.S. youth champion in table tennis. You forgot to mention yeah. this one. Very random as well. <laughs> yes. So I started playing when I was nine. And I was, you know, on the U.S. uh, cadet team, U.S. junior girls team. I did, I guess, officially retire right before I started college. But that was because I realized that I was going to go to University of Missouri, Mizzou, for journalism, great journalism school. And there are just no, there's nothing there. I I couldn't keep my training, you know, and you couldn't really make a living off of it in the States at that time. Not really, especially as a female. And so I kind of just decided preemptively, like, better just to focus on my studies and because where, who am I going to train with? Like, this is not feasible. I kind of just chose like, okay, I'm going to go for this career path instead and end this one. But I got my husband out of it. So that's pretty cool. So we met and then we started dating. Yeah. When I was 18, we started dating 2006 and yeah, we ended up staying in touch. I started saying, we ended up, you know, getting together and we ended up doing long distance and then yeah, moved to, I moved to Sweden. And now we've been together 17 years. So I bet you can really hustle people when there's a table tennis table around, like they're not expecting your talent level. And I can't imagine what that looks like. Cause no one is like the average person is like really not that good at that. I haven't done it in so long. I think the last time I really hustled someone 
was actually in college because they had these tables on the bottom floor and it was across from this gym, which we joke, we call it like the bro-y part of the school gym. Cause there was where like the heavy guys did like their heavy powerlifting and stuff. And it was like this clear plexiglass or whatever you call it. And so they saw me playing with my guy friend and they came over and asked to play me. And they didn't talk to me condescendingly, but they see this like tiny little petite girl. And I think they just thought that they could beat me. And I, one of them kind of, I think he said something about how he was going to take it easy on me. And then I was just smiled sweetly at him. And I was just thinking like, oh, now I have to demolish you. Like if you've been nice about it, I don't have to humiliate you, but now I kind of have to make an example. So he got zero points. Yeah. It was really satisfying. I'm not gonna I lie. love that. I, and I just smiled. I was like, and they kind of lined up. They were actually good sports. I'll get, I'll like, to be fair, after I beat all of them in a row, um, they were really good sports about it because none of them could beat me. And they just started thinking it was funny. But, and the one who obviously said he was going to take it easy while he had to eat his words. And so that's always fun. Yeah. You don't need to be a huge brawny guy to be good at table tennis. And uh, you can get beaten by a five foot six, you know, 120 pound college girl. So <laughs> It was fun. Yeah. <laughs> do you bring that competitive nature into your business? I do, but I've had to, I've had, I do, but I don't in some ways. I, I feel like more of the determination and grit, I would say that I, I've, I've brought that into the business. The competition part, I've actually had to rewire myself a little bit. Uh, so what I mean is like, when I'm, when I'm, when I played table tennis, it was kind of easier to gauge your progress or, you know, how you're doing, because when you're competing, it's kind of obvious if you're doing well or not. You win or you lose, right? You make the team or you don't make the team, um, you know. And when you're competing regularly, you, if you're if you're performing well, then the results are gonna it's gonna be pretty obvious, right? It's it's kind of easier in sports. It's like you have a winner, you have a loser. It's harder in business because not only do you um, is it a completely different playing field. But you don't really know someone else's backstory, where they started. And it's very hard to compete, actually, in the sense that you're not really on, you know, you're not really starting at the same place. Sometimes you're ahead of them and sometimes you're way behind, but you just don't really know. Like if I see some like some article in Inc. or Entrepreneur and it's talking about someone's amazing story, some like a lot of times it won't mention things. For example, maybe that person had 20 years of work experience. And that's why when they launched this new startup, it took off immediately. Uh, sometimes it's like, oh, this person has a family member that conveniently donated $5 million to their yeah. startup right from the start. You know, that does make a difference. I'm not saying you're going to succeed in the end, but it does give you a jump start. You just don't know any of these things. And so it, it, I, it can be pretty toxic in that sense to, if I were to compete in my, in, in the way I would, was used to be, you know, just at base value. What does, how does it look? And that's something I really had to, even today, I have to remind myself that. And especially with social media, right? It's like Instagram is essentially this, it is like a lovely portfolio of everyone's polished life. And we're all guilty of doing it. Don't get me wrong. But we don't really know what's going behind, like going on behind the scenes with any company, big or small. I mean, some of the ones that I thought were killing it, some of them have filed for bankruptcy. I had no idea they were even in trouble. And so I think, yeah, I would say determination and grit and those kind of um, things I've gotten from sports, I do take with me, but the competitiveness, I've had to kind of more focus on comparing myself to my own progress. And it's, it, I would say it's like a daily, 
I don't know if I say struggle, but it's definitely something I struggle with sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, it's very, very different from sports. Yeah. I love what you said there. Cause we, we do talk about competition in business all the time, but the way that you described this toxic competition, because you really, there's, there's no even, even playing field, like in sports, you're sorted into categories based on your level of play or your age. There's, there's all sorts of criteria for the competition you're entering into. It's not that way in business. So you make, you make such great points there. And I know that our audience is one that's very curious. Uh, we're people who are looking to like level up and to understand things in a different way. And so I just have so many questions about your company and really just kind of that origin of how do you choose your products? And then can you walk us through I'm sure this is, you know, years of experience to, to get from, from A to Z, but how that idea for a product line comes about, and then you have that product available for sale. Like there's so many steps in between. So sort of what's, what's that shorter explanation of that path from A to Z idea to for sale? Yeah. Yeah, I know that could be a way too long of an answer. So I guess I'll mention some, I guess, almost bullet points of what I think can help or what's helped me. So I say this as someone who's type A, but also someone who really does like to plan things. I think it's great to to make plans and to do your research, but I also think it's very, very important to take action. And like I said, I love planning things. I plan my schedule every day. It looks even silly sometimes. Not so much now when I have a daughter because my plans always just are (laughs) all over the place. But normally I love to plan everything, but you can't when you run a business. I can't tell you how many times over these past years, there were certain things that I anticipated, both negative and positive that did not come to fruition, but I got thrown huge curveballs instead. And sometimes the curveballs were not good. And sometimes the curveballs were, you know, fantastic news, you know, great opportunities that came out of nowhere. And so I just think when you're going down this path of entrepreneurship, you can, you just can't ever plan everything. And I think it's good to kind of learn to be flexible. And like I said, to take action, because I've talked to people, whether it's friends or, you know, people that I've met that have an idea and some of them are stuck in the planning phase and they can get stuck in there for years. I mean, sometimes decades. It doesn't, it's like, it's great to have a fantastic idea, but you need to execute, like you need to get going. And a lot of stuff you have to learn by doing as well. So I think a lot, you know, a lot of people get stuck in that part. And then another thing I would say when it comes to getting, taking, you know, an idea, you know, from, from an idea to a product, to having it out on the market is I would say, go, go down the path that is not only feasible and available to you, but also something you're comfortable with. So the reason I mentioned this is because we are a self-funded business. I'm not claiming that the only path to success is being self-funded or the only path is getting investors, but you should go down a path that you are comfortable with. I'm a calculated risk taker personally. I'm not a huge risk taker. I can obviously take bigger risks maybe than an average person since I am still an entrepreneur, but I'm not this, you know, for example, my husband and I are still very different. He's a much bigger risk taker than I am. So we kind of, you know, we're a good balance. And so because of that, when we launched, I did not want to even really go down that avenue. I preferred bootstrapping, not only so I could really learn more about the whole process of creating a product, bringing it to market, et cetera, but also because I didn't want to take that many risks right from the start. 
So I'm not saying my path is the best path. It's it's just my way. But I think something that where you can still sleep at night, right? Because being an entrepreneur itself is already so out of most people's comfort zones mm -hmm. that if you do something in a way where let's say you really don't want to take that kind of financial risk, especially let's say you have a family and you're doing something where, I mean, you just, you can't stomach it. It is eating away at you. And you know, it's just, maybe there's another path you can take instead launching the same product, but just in a way where you can actually sleep at night, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think you've identified really the two major hurdles for people is taking action. They have this, this great idea, but you have to take action on it. And oftentimes that involves an investment. And so for you, you said bootstrapping was the best avenue for you uh, to take that action and felt most comfortable for you to just have ownership over that decision. I would imagine one of the biggest initial decisions is to select a manufacturer for your product. What was that process like for you? Because you had had this idea, you have to take action to get it actually made. So how did you make that decision? This is interesting because we actually manufacture all of our products, even to this day. And we started off that way as well. And so I, once again, want to mention there is not one, like one path fits all one size fits all. Right. I have friends who use private label manufacturers and their products are fantastic. And it's not like they're not involved in the process, but one part was bootstrapping. And so initially it was just money. It was like, it, you know, when you use a manufacturer, they have minimum quantities. There's a lot of other, you know, there's a lot more money you have to put up front. So that was a part of it. And also the lip balm that we made, it came, I mean, we made it in our kitchen and it was a combination of research and playing around. And then when we actually decided to take it to market, we focused and started really making that the core, like the focus of our I guess our whole existence was learning how to make fantastic products. But I just think that, yeah, once again, you have to pick which path you're more comfortable with. And for me, that was what I was, you know, I, I wanted to do. Now, what was actually interesting is after we had been around for about two years, we started discussing, because my husband and I run the business together, right? We started discussing, do we want to actually start taking the manufacturing, having someone else handle it instead. And we did test that part out for us. And the reason it did not work was perhaps because we were a little bit too small. We visited a lot of manufacturers and they not only were they not able to really replicate our formula, there was always some discrepancies. They didn't, we had very different definitions of what was consistent and what was good enough. And I realized that we had much, a, a much, I, I don't, know whether you want to call higher standards, but we had a very different idea of what was our product. And so I felt like, oh, we can't even switch because I don't, I mean, our customers are going to, they'll be able to tell the difference, you know? And like I said, I think being small is definitely an issue because when you're too small, the manufacturers don't care about you. They've got clients who are doing 100,000, 200,000 production runs right? And then here's someone like me. It's like, uh, could we do 2000? And I'm thinking 2000. I don't even know how long it's going to take for me to sell those 2000 units. I really only want 200, you know, but I know you're not going to say yes to that. And so, um, and, but now in retrospect, I'm really glad that we didn't because yeah, I, 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 I love the fact that 
we do everything in house and it gives us a lot of creativity, flexibility. And I, I think the quality of our products, it really kind of shows because, because we handle everything in house, we can really, you know, discover if there's any issues right off the bat, we can figure it out like that. But also we just, you know, you can put a little bit more time and care when you do it yourself, you know, the way we pack things, the notes we leave, you know, the extra things we put. So, yeah. Yeah. And what I heard you say there is you've really been able to maintain control of your brand and the product and the promise that you've made to your customers, which is absolutely an applicable lesson, whether you are an entrepreneur or you're working for a bigger company, like you can't sell yourself or your product out to, uh, some type of, uh, either outside, outside influence or some type of organization or structure that would allow you to like work quicker. Like sometimes the better solution is just, is, is locked inside staying true to your brand. Yeah. And also, you know, I say this because you know, I'm going to use an example, which is a very as blatant of example as I can use is I'm obviously, I'm clearly not Kim Kardashian. I am not a celebrity. The reason I use that example is I'm not, I don't, I've not tried her products. I don't know if they're good or not, but even if they weren't, people will buy them because she is very well known. I launched products as a literal nobody. And so you have to build the customer's trust, right? They will not just see your product on an on a Facebook ad or, you know, somewhere when you're just starting out and really trust you. And so you kind of have to be perfect in every way, even if you don't want to be. My natural personality type, I am definitely a perfectionist, but even if I wasn't, I think I would have to force myself to be because you need to prove yourself in every avenue. They don't know who you are. You've got no reputation. You've got nothing for them to be like, oh, I love so-and-so's TV show. So I'm going to buy her product, right? You're, they don't know you. You're a completely unknown variable. And so I felt like because of that and doing it in-house, we, you know, it was, we can always maintain like a super strict level of quality when it comes to our products. And that's something that we're known for. And even customer service, we do our, our customer service is handled in-house. And so if there's a problem that arises, we get it solved as like lightning speed, right? And it's all just kind of something that's taken years to build. And now I do think we have a, a solid reputation for having, you know, having really high quality products along with certifications to really, you know, not, you know, to really back it up. And on top of that, we have a reputation of having really good customer service. But I mean, I'm pretty sure the first month I launched, no one had any idea, nor it cared probably. Right. And so I think, especially if you're, you have to be, you have to kind of be realistic with yourself. If you don't have a following and you're launching something, you're going to have to build that trust somehow. And that does mean that you're going to have to be more perfect because the ones who have a following, they've already put in past work. That's why they are able to launch products where people will buy it within seconds of launching. Right. And so it's not that they, they didn't work hard. It's just that you're starting once again at different at a different spot. Yeah. So. That's, that's so, so true. What's your, what's your secret to marketing today? Now that you're a known quantity, you have a reputation, you know, how do you reach your customers, your new customers to get them on board with uh, buying your products? No pun intended, but I guess kind of pun intended. Most of our growth has truly been organic. Yes, we have gotten press mentions, but we've not ever gotten anything just astronomically, you know, 
wow, like this is that one thing that happened and now our company, our growth exploded. Things for us have overall been a steady, gradual growth. You know, we haven't really seen what you would call like a hockey stick curve where boom, that one year. And of course, maybe that hopefully that will happen in the future, but we've really been growing steadily. I do think a part of it is being self-funded. So we don't just have these huge injections of money that we can suddenly put into online marketing or some type of marketing initiative. Um, but I think that I wouldn't say slow and steady wins the race, because once again, there's so many different ways you can get to be successful. But for us, this has been, once again, I think the path that suits myself and my husband the best. And one of the positives when it comes to that is during COVID and, you know, the past few years, we have still managed to grow a bit each year. You know, we are very fortunate that our company did not get hit to the point where we wouldn't be able to exist anymore. And part of that is because we have not, you know, we have been growing steadily in a way where we can keep up. And so we are, we don't risk shutting doors, you know, like shutting doors um, overnight or something like some brands had to. And so it's like, it's like pros and cons once again. Right. Yeah. And you work with your husband. So yes. talk about okay. that. What's that like? Not everyone, I don't know, may can do that. So how does it work uh, for you two? Thankfully, we had some practice before Henna. We had a startup together before that, and we worked together for a couple of years. And so I think that was actually such a blessing because in the beginning, when we started working together, there was so much bickering. <laughs> you can't even imagine because it's so weird to be with someone who you're in a romantic relationship with. And now you have to give each other constructive criticism. You have to discuss things. You have different personality types, different ideas. I think one bonus with the two of us is we have very different skill sets and very different personality types. And so we're not trying to, we, we're not fighting to do the same tasks. We actually complement each other very well in that sense. So I, I'm not saying you have to have that in your significant other if you want to work together but it might be tricky if let's say both of you are fantastic at marketing but you both lack skills in other departments first off you're gonna to have to find someone else sooner or later but second off you might start you know almost competing with each other or you know stepping on each other's toes and so yeah the, that initial experience working together and being very different and having different skill sets really helps and then i do think you know, another thing is I, I do have to mention is not every couple is meant to work together. I honestly think that some couples can be together until the end of time and, and be a wonderful, like in a wonderful, loving relationship, but be absolutely horrible for each other professionally. I honestly believe that I've seen that with people I'm friends with, where I think they're a fantastic couple, but they start to work together and realize this is not going to happen. And that's okay. You know, your business partner does not have to be your, your husband or your wife. Mm -hmm. And so I, I do think it's, it really depends on the couple. Um, and so I think it's kind of hard for me to give sound advice because every relationship is different, but those are the things, at least I think in my work relationship with my husband is important. And another thing is definitely carving some time away from business and just focusing on your actual non-work relationship mm -hmm. and so even now when we have our daughter i have a 10 month old we have 10 month old we started doing uh weekly instead of date nights date mornings so what we'll do is we'll go to a cafe for a couple hours 
and we have a nanny that's watching her here. And then the two of us will both initially we'll start with having a quick henna meeting. So talking about work things, then we'll talk about life goals. We want to talk to each other and give you, you know, keep each other, I guess, make sure we're both on the same page with what our goals are short-term and long-term for life. And now when we have a daughter, most of it is talked, you know, focused around family goals. And then it's just random chit chat, just being a normal couple. So usually we end up talking a lot about MMA because we both love watching UFC. So we'll start talking about like, oh, did you check out MMA fighting last weekend? Or like, you know, what fights are coming up? Did you see so-and-so, you know, broke his arm? I know it sounds weird, but we love, you know, we love those things. And then we're just, you know, we're a normal couple again. So I think that part I will say is really important. You need to shut it off sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't shut it off probably as, as often, even as other couples do, but sometimes you just got to turn off, take off your, you know, CEO or whatever hat you, you know, you, whatever position you are at your business and just be a normal couple, you know? And I love just- the order that you put that in, like to, to talk about business first and then get into more personal conversation so that you don't have those business questions like burning in the back of your brain, distracting you from real connection. I think that's really interesting. And I wonder how that might apply in a larger like work setting when you usually start off the meeting, kind of just talking about whatever, um, rather than getting into it. And normally somebody's cut off because you have to start the meeting. Like what if that was reversed? I wonder what that would do like psychologically for, for everybody involved. It seems like it works well for you guys. Yeah. I mean, I honestly, I have no clue, but when I think, if I stop and think about it, I think for certain people, it could work quite well. I would say the upside is you get the most, you know, pressing matters. You get to, you you kind of, I wouldn't say get it over with, but kind of, yeah, because Mm -hmm. then you, then you can relax. Like, okay. Yeah. Because sometimes you're doing the chit chat, you know, you're about to like, you got to get going. Right. And so you also start. Yeah. Oh, we've been in the, all been in those conversations where you're like, oh, there is the, the proverbial elephant in the room. Like we yes. have to talk about it. I can't even focus on this other conversation. Yeah. So it's like, kind of like, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So in your, in your journey with Henne, what was the biggest hurdle that you've had to overcome? It's a new year and I want to welcome a new sponsor to the Leadership is Female podcast. Staffy. That's S-T-A-F-I. And they can be found at getstaffy.com. We are all busy professionals and we have a lot on our plate and Get Staffy is here to help. They are a virtual assistant company. They're virtual assistants, legal assistants, receptionists, intake client specialists, sales representatives, and paralegals are thoroughly trained and effectively can manage multiple tasks from answering customer inquiries to booking your family activities and managing your calendar and appointments. Plus, you get to save costs with our easy subscription-based service. That's getstaffy.com or reach out to me at Emily Jansen on Instagram, and I will connect you directly to their people. They are a phenomenal company, and we've got an interview with their CEO on the podcast. If you need help, if your company needs help, if you need a virtual assistant that can help save costs and get more done, Get Staffy is the way to do it. Getstaffy.com and mention Leadership is Female, or let me know and I will put you in touch. Let's go. Do you need a keynote speaker for your next conference, ERG meeting, event, or group? I'm here, raising my hand. 
I help leaders grow their confidence so that they can lead more intentional, goal-directed, fulfilled, and happy lives. We are conditioned from our childhood to stay small. Don't be conceited. Run in the middle of the pack because if we speak out too much or shine too brightly, we will offend other people. This could not be more wrong. When you are your best, most confident leader, you give others permission to shine too. So how do we get there? How do we increase our confidence? I love sharing my best practices and proven methods to help leaders grow into who they are meant to be. Your most confident, authentic self, ready to take on your next biggest challenge in the office and in your personal life. Get in touch at emilyjansen.com. At Leadership is Female, we are serious about supporting you in your career. That includes the tips to get you ahead inside your current organization or provide you with the next big opportunity in a new role. That's why we have partnered with Legacy Search, an executive recruiting firm specializing in mid to senior level executive searches across professional, collegiate, and minor league sports. Check out the openings listed at LegacySportsSearch.com or in our monthly Leadership is Female newsletter. Hint, if you have not signed up for the newsletter, head to leadershipisfemale.com. If you find a job listed at Legacy Sports Search that looks like it should be yours, email us at leadershipisfemale at gmail.com and we will introduce you directly to the opportunity. This is your career. Make the most of it. Hmm. I would say my own, my, my, I guess my own, uh, whether you want to call them inner demons or, you know, my own personal doubt, I would say that's one of them because it's, yeah, it, it really, you have, you definitely have highs and lows. Right. And so I would say that, you know, like, especially, you know, with COVID and the way things have gone the past few years, once again, I am very grateful that we are where we are, but you know, of course, there's a lot of things that were about to come to fruition and almost all of it got wiped out because of what's happened. And I know that's not the most important thing in life. I mean, I'm healthy, we're safe, like there's more things that are more important. But of course, it kind of kind of throw you for a loop, especially when you've been building towards something for quite a while. Um, but I would say that is, I would say at least a little bit of a hurdle. Another thing would be, I would say, uh, adjusting to things changing, you know, in every industry, the beauty industry, for example, has changed immensely since I, you know, decided to launch henna and, you know, the, it's just a different terrain these days, some, you know, some better, some worse. And so I think having to adjust, and I think that is a hurdle because, you know, for example, the, there's, a lot of brands these days that are celebrity backed. Some are good. Some products don't seem that great, but you know, they, it does feel a little bit sometimes like they're launching left and right. And I'm not saying that there's not enough market share for all of us, but once again, having to adapt and, you know, or even like everything from online marketing, it used to be very profitable to run Facebook ads. Right. And these days who isn't running Facebook ads? And things have changed a lot, everything from, you know, how you can reach people. So you just have to adapt constantly. And it is a hurdle because every, I think oftentimes you feel like you get into a groove, then things change a lot. And especially with technology, now you have AI. And I am not the person to ask about AI because I, my, you know, knowledge of AI is basically at, yeah, an infant's level. So 
but yeah, I will, I, but I will adapt. I will adapt. Mm -hmm. Uh, But once again, a new hurdle. And so, yeah, Yeah, well, at the end of the day, you stay true to your brand, true to who you are, true to a great product. And that is going to take you a long way is that consistency. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I mean, the, the cost of advertising online is essentially tripled and it makes it very unaffordable. The space is very crowded. So your conversion rate is, you know, might cost you as much as the sale and in some cases. So it's tricky. Yeah, it is. And I think, but once again, you know, it can push you to find new avenues or, you know, like I, there's a book, I I think it's called blue ocean strategy. I have it on my bookshelf. I read it years ago, but you know, sometimes you just have to figure out things in a different way. And we're kind of doing that right now, but we're also like, we are really staying true to who we are. For example, we don't jump on trends. We don't launch a product just because some ingredient is trending the past three months. We're still pretty careful. We try to launch products that we think have longevity, products that there's a demand for, but also products that will actually stand the test of time a little bit better. So not something that's, you know, went viral on TikTok last week. Like I would never. Plus, I mean, how can I? It takes, I mean, you know, I want to launch a product that's absolutely amazing and that takes time. So... Yeah. And you also have charity partnership and I want you to tell us about that and why helping human trafficking victims is so important to you. Yes. I am excited that you asked me this. So we are partnered with a nonprofit, a local nonprofit called First Fruit Ministries. I actually got connected to them while I was pregnant last year. And once again, it feels like things are just meant to me, like meant to be. Prior to last year, we had mostly been partnering or donating privately as private individuals. And when we were lived in Vegas, we actually were trying to partner with certain nonprofits. I was actually initially focused more on the animal side because I'm a huge animal lover and I'm not going to name who we asked, but I think we were too small of fish to some of them where it felt like they didn't really want to, you know, make the effort to partner with us because maybe we would not be able to bring them as much money as other, you know, bigger brands and other ones, it was a little bit hazy where the money was going. When you start to just ask basic questions, it just gets, started getting a little bit dicey and that didn't feel right. And then with first fruit, when we got connected with them last year, uh, we met with them a few times. We went to some of their events. They're so transparent. You know, they're, they're like more than happy to show you their books, for example. And it really resonated with me, especially when I was pregnant, because I, when I started learning more and more and I started going to their events, it just felt like this is, this is absolutely who we want to partner with our brand, like henna without, you know, henna actually without the accent on the E, it means her in Swedish. Like the initial goal of my brand was to launch a brand that not just empowers women, but makes, gives you confidence and makes you feel, you know, like you, you know, makes you feel pampered, makes you feel like you're taking care of yourself, but for all women, you know, I always say like, we come from all different walks of life. You know, some of us are stay at home moms. Some of us are working and have kids. Some of us don't have kids, but one common thread we have is first off, we're always trying to find more time. Right. And we oftentimes don't put ourselves first. And I'm not saying you need to put yourself first, but I think self-care and taking care of yourself is really important. And so our whole brand is really like the formation was catered to women and this nonprofit, they help men as well, but they, 
a, a big aspect of what they do is helping rescue victims of human trafficking. So not just helping victims after they've been rescued, they're actually a part of that process. You know, they actually help get them out of very dire situations. And, you know, unfortunately, most victims are, are women and some of them are unfortunately children. And especially now having my own child, I just, I mean, the, the stories, I, you know, I, it could, you know, I don't want to go too far into it because it could take hours, but the stories that I've heard are just so harrowing and I just can't, you know, yeah, I just can't, I can't imagine it, you know, being, being a woman and not only are you, have you been trafficked, but now you're homeless and not, and you're, you know, you continue to be trafficked. And sometimes you're trafficked amongst other people who themselves are homeless. You know, it's just a very vicious cycle, having a child in that situation. And it's also, it's, 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 um, I guess it hits closer to home than you think, you know, um, the way some women get trafficked or in some young girls get trafficked. It's, uh, yeah, it's just, it, it could happen to anyone. It really could. And you really start learning about it, but but yeah, anyways, um, with First Fruit, the way we partner with them is what we do is like a dollar from every purchase from Henna goes toward them, right? And so it, that means that if you place a sample order on our website for $2, or a dollar of that still goes toward them. And what's amazing is that, like I said, they're so transparent with how they spend their money. They are so scrappy. You want to talk about bootstrapping? They still act like they launched yesterday. You know what I mean? They're so scrappy. And and just the founders, Rick and Leanna, they're such wonderful people. They really are. They open their hearts to everyone and they've done such good in our community. And I also hope that, I know it's a local nonprofit, but I also hope that partnering with them will also inspire other people, not only to you know help out in their communities, but just learn more about, you know, I know it's a darker topic, but I think it's, I want to talk about the elephant in the room. It exists in every city you live in, even if you're in a town. There is like human trafficking exists everywhere. And once again, it's all, it, it's mostly women. And it's just think, think it's something that we need to talk about more so we can actually protect the girls and the women in our community. Because like I said, it's not just people who, who come from certain backgrounds or girls and women can get trafficked living in a nice suburban home where you and I are from the Midwest. You can live in a nice suburban home in the Midwest and your daughter could be in the process of getting trafficked from her bedroom on her computer and you don't even realize it. So that's what's crazy. Some of them, they the, literally the way they do it is they act like they're a boyfriend. They find you on social media, add you on Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, pretend like they're interested in dating you. And that's how they actually traffic a lot of girls. That's what I mean. It can hit anywhere. And that's what I mean. It's like, we need to talk about this more because mm -hmm. otherwise, how are we going to protect, you know, the women and the girls in our communities and our families. Right. Yeah. I'm so happy you, you talked about it so much right now and, and shine a light on it because it is such a dark topic that we just tend to avoid it. And we don't, we don't want to discuss it. Um, but it, it's, it's so important. And I think your work, while it is a local donation, who cares? Like you make a, do you make a impact in the life of one, you never know what that ripple effect will happen. And your customers are around the world, but they're seeing what your emphasis is for your charity partner. And they might might inspire them to think, what do I do here in in my community? Which yeah. is is so important. 
So thank you for talking about it so um, eloquently on the show so that we, you know, it just plants another seed on, on thinking about how to make a difference. Yeah. And thank you for letting me. And the thing is, we're still a, a very small business ourselves. And, you know, I don't know what the future entails, but it's very possible in the future that we partner with multiple charities, you know, not just here locally. But one good thing about being a small business ourselves is when you partner with someone that's more on a local level, you definitely find out more where your money is going. Right. And so there is more transparency, even with our customers, I can really vouch and stand behind this nonprofit, because I'm not saying it's not great to partner with someone who's on the other side of the world, but you may never get to go to that country where you're donating money, right? You hope that what you're doing is actually making the difference that they say it is, but sometimes it's not. I can drive in 15 minutes and I can go to where they're located and I can stop by anytime. You know, I can go to their events. I can literally see with my own eyes how they're spending the money. And so that for me, especially being the first like charity we partner with officially with our business, that's important to me because I don't want our money to go towards something that I don't agree with or getting wasted, right? I don't want it to go to someone's inflated salary or, you know, someone buying some nice fancy car. You know, I, I want it to actually go toward the people who need it. And so this has been a great experience for us so far. And it's a, it's a learning curve as well. Right. And I think, and I hope in the future that, you know, we can partner with even more nonprofits and, and, but this is definitely a topic that, like I said, it is dark, but I mean, we need to care about humans. Right. I, I, I say this as an animal lover, but we need to also take care of the people in our own communities, like mm -hmm. the people that we actually see on a day-to-day -day basis. Like they, they, there's so many people just, you know, in, in any town, any city in the States that need help, right? And it's still much easier to help someone who you can actually touch with your hands than someone, you know, on the other side of the planet. We can do both. We can do both. We can't forget about the people in our own community though. So, yeah, that's my I, I totally agree. And just, I want to switch gears for a minute and head back to Henna and talk about where people should start. I'm looking at your beautiful website and your Instagram, by the way, you guys are, if you're not watching this on YouTube, if I haven't posted it and it's just visual or just audio, Laura is stunning and you should be the model on your Instagram. So for what it's worth, I'm just going to put that out there. I'm terrible at posing though. By the way. <laughs> I don't need a bad photographer. It would be very authentic <laughs> to the brand, but I, um, I'm looking at your, your products such clear, beautiful packaging, which I know is intentional. Where should somebody start? Like what's, if we were going to put, I don't know, say two things in our, in our cart, what should they be? Well, first is, I would say actually our OG product, the one we launched when we launched Henna, which is our lip balm, because this is like, when they say like, oh, if you were stranded on an Island, what product would you bring? This is still my go-to, especially now when I'm a mother, because this, my, our jar lip balm, I use it everywhere. I use it on my lips. I use it on my daughter, Stella's butt. I have a separate jar. I do have a separate jar just for her butt, by the way, for the diaper changes. I do not use that on my face. I do have sanitation. <laughs> I, I have standards, but yeah, that jar is good for cuticles, your lips. Of course, that's the main purpose, but even like other dry patches, like knuckles. And like I said, it's a, it's a great diaper balm to use. I use it on my daughter all the time. It's safe for everyone in the family. I mean, you shouldn't eat it because there are 
cheaper and better tasting things to eat in life, but you could probably eat the whole jar and you'd be fine. Um, but like I said, it's a $22 lip balm. I do want to be transparent. So there you could just grab a snack from your pantry. Um, and then the second product I would say is, hmm, that's the second one is actually trickier. I want to say something with lips again, but I would actually say our Illumin face oil. And I know this is not a necessity, but this product is just, it is such a game changer. I know that most people are going to be listening to the podcast and also it's getting dark here. So it's harder to see, but it is literally my skincare secret. You know, it works well to bright, helps brighten the skin. It helps with fine lines. And it's, it's like a, it's like a treatment face oil. That's also very gentle on your skin. And it's in my personal opinion, the most beautiful face oil packaging I have ever seen in my life. I'm super biased, but it's gorgeous. It feels even more luxurious in person. And so, yeah, I would say those two products are lip balm and our face oil. Yeah. Um, well, five-star reviews all day long on those products. So check it out and head to, head to their website. Um, want to finish up with the final four questions. Number one being, what is your top piece of advice for women to apply today to level up tomorrow? My top advice is, I would definitely say is to, um, to really, yeah, to make sure you, I won't say have some grit, but yeah, I, I would say like, um, I would say don't give up. It sounds like very generalized information, but what I mean by that is, you know, a lot of times when someone says no to you, it they it honestly means not yet. It does. Because if I could, if I could, you know, for every single time I've been rejected, if I just gave up, I would not have a business today. I've been rejected thousands of times. And sometimes the timing's just not right. So I would definitely say like, um, and then I, I guess my second piece of advice, because this one just popped into my head actually, is it's really great to get support from family and friends. And I think that's fantastic, but sometimes also don't let them deter you from the path that you think you're destined to. And I'm going to use my parents as an example, who I have a great relationship with and are very supportive of me today. They were not that supportive of me being an entrepreneur initially because they feared for me, their background from struggling so much in life. They just wanted me to be quote unquote safe, right? They meant well, but if I had listened to them, I would not have launched henna. And so I think sometimes, you know, we have, we have to remember that our family members and our friends, sometimes they give advice based on their own past experiences. That's usually why they do. And it might not be applicable to you. And so I think that's, I just wanted to mention that because sometimes people don't end up wanting to be an entrepreneur because they get that fear driven into them from someone close. And oftentimes it's well-meaning. But sometimes you kind of have to say like, you know, I appreciate like, I res- you know, I, sp- I respect you. I love you, et cetera. I appreciate, you know, the advice, but I'm still going to go for it because this is what I want to do. So where are you traveling to next? I am going to Sweden. We're going back to Sweden for Christmas for a couple of weeks. It's my daughter's first flight. I'm terrified because I hope she doesn't shriek the whole trip. It's an 18 hour trip with layovers included. So, uh, but yeah, I'm excited to see our family and eat lots of delicious Swedish Christmas food and um, and then detox when I get back because I'll be, yeah, eating like I've never eaten before for about two and a half weeks. I always do that. Swedish bread is delicious. Seriously. It's like, oh, 
is to die for. I can only imagine Sweden at Christmas is like every winter wonderland fantasy you could ever imagine. It's very cozy. I'm not going to lie. As long as you're bundled up, seriously, wear 20 layers and you'll be fine. (laughs) (laughs) What is your pump up song? I would say probably anything from Calvin Harris, honestly, maybe one that I really like is actually, what is it called? Feel so close. Mm-hmm. because when I, my husband and I lived in New Zealand, I remember the first bar we went to when we got there, they were blasting that at the bar. It was like this small, like tiny hole in the wall and everybody started jumping in there and it was just so fun. So good, like good memories from that song. And it is like a very, you know, fast pace. I should probably not clap my hands since we're recording this uh, to piss off your listeners, but um, yeah, love that song. I like his music. It gets me pumped. So yeah, I like that. And finally, what is your favorite quote? Hmm. I've got several that I love. The first one that pops up to my head is actually, I don't know who, if anyone even said it or, uh, but no rain, no flowers. Because I think it's for me, it's, that used to be my lock screen a few years ago for a long time. I think it's a good reminder sometimes when things don't go well or go the way you anticipated it's just that it's something good always almost always comes out of it, right? And, and if even if something amazing doesn't, you learn. And so I just I remind myself I've reminded myself that during I guess some tougher times in life that you know there's going to be better times ahead, and it makes you stronger, you know, and kind of yeah. So no rain, no flowers. I love that. Well, Laura, this has been amazing. Where can we buy your products? Where can we follow along with your journey? Tell us all the, all the spots. Yeah. Well, uh, the easiest way to buy our products is our website. So that's hennyorganics.com, H-E-N-N-E organics.com. And if someone wants to try our products more locally, we do have a retailer's page on our website where they can find out the store closest to them. And yeah, those are the two easiest ways. I I love that. Well, thank you for being a part of Leadership as Female today. And we are excited about all the work that you're doing and um, how you really are leading her forward. So thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. It's been really fun. And I loved our chats before we started recording as well. (laughs) Thank you so much for spending your time with us today. Time is your most precious resource, and it means the world that you spent it with us. Please help us reach more people who need to hear these interviews by hitting the subscribe button and the five-star rating on your iPhone. Do you know someone who could benefit from this interview? Please share it. Take a screenshot and post your Instagram stories, copy the link and share on LinkedIn, or text that link to your colleague. The Leadership is Female podcast exists to showcase female leadership in sports and entertainment and give you the tips to level up. We will extend a hand back to lead you forward. Extend the same hand by sharing this with someone who needs to hear it. One last thing. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at leadership is female. Now take this lesson and run. Let's go.